Ragthong! Conrad here, and after a long layoff, we're finally back! I really want to apologize for the lack of communication with these episodes not coming out, and really it's just been um, balancing being back at a full-time job and the amount of time and effort that this show requires. It's been sort of a challenge to figure that out and get things out in time, but I think I've managed to, to, to get things together uh, to that end. We're going to start putting this show out one episode a week as opposed to us uh, sometimes having two. So, you know, it'll be like two episodes of Space Spinner, then an episode of Big Meg One, etc. And that should keep things going forward at a level that should be sustainable for me. <laughs> um, just getting them out on time and us recording them, etc. Thanks so much for bearing with me as 2000 AD's just passed its 45th anniversary and Judge Dredd celebrates his 45th year of, of a publication this week. Let's get this spinner back to spinning. It'll be fun, I promise. Splundig Vathrig! Cradaline Network. I am the law, and this is the 31st episode of Big Meg One. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Eli, and this is the podcast where two Americans patrol their way through the Judge Dredd magazine. This episode, we're covering the magazine, or the Judge Dredd magazine, for May and June 1993, Volume 2, Issues 27 through 30. This episode, both Dredd and Hershey are after serial killers. Hark, Burr, and the Missionary Man are traveling the Cursed Earth, and Judge Anderson is on Mars. And if you were to read along with us, you find the comics we're covering today in Judge Read the Complete Case Files 19, Judge Anderson the Sci Files Volume 2, 2080 Extreme Edition 22, and the Judge Dread Magazine Issue 350. How you doing today, Eli? I'm doing great. I like how you paused on the magazine, the podcast. I would think we should just go with that. This is the podcast. And then only one there is. Absolutely. There. Yeah. Right. Anything else that claims to be a podcast is a lie, buddy. <laughs> this is the only, the only and the original talking about <laughs> this magazine. <laughs> All right. But hey, speaking of people with weird original ideas, Eli, Ooh. about arm harvesting or something else let's <laughs> go to story one judge dread script about ron smith or um sorry uh we'll start off with this first story the jigsaw murders script robot john smith art robot uh Zousis, letting robot tom frame all Is right that first time seeing Zousis. no no no. we've seen him a couple times he did that um he did an a a judge hershey story where there was this guy that had all these wives i think oh right and i remember that one we've seen him around a little bit but like yeah the, the woody allen one and stuff yeah yeah the name rung a bell but i was mm -hmm. like i was like the name didn't ring a bell but i was like this art looks really familiar yeah but okay you know sometimes you know him by the name so you know him by the work mm -hmm. exactly mm-hmm so weather control is out in sector 19 of Mega City 1 and a harsh winter storm is blowing as Dredd finds a chopped up body on a snowy street and we realize that the Jigsaw Killer is back in town. Dredd discusses the case with another judge. It seems the killer's been away for seven months and looks like there's just some limbs and torsos of four to five people lying around here. 
In a new wrinkle, there's the words Body Nad Sow written uh, in backwards letters in blood on the wall, which is a change of method in the killer, but Dredd knows it's still the, the one. He calls in a tech team to look for evidence, and meanwhile, we cut to a man lying in an overflowing bathtub. It started 18 months ago, we're told, when Cund- when Kundo del Mundo got the fever in the Velvet Underground. And we see him fervous, fervish, uh, feverishly hacking off the limbs of mannequins with an axe and some sort of weird, uh, I don't know, dream space kind of thing. It seems Kundo lost his arm in a construction accident, met a weird otherworldly figure called the Giggler, and then acquired a sweet artificial arm that's full of, like, blades and saws and knives and stuff. Can confirm. It is very sweet. Yeah, so. d- listen, I, I feel like I can, I can judge the relative sweetness of an artificial arm, I think. You know, right. come on. You got you get an arm like that, you got to go on a rampage. You got to take it out on town. That's why you shouldn't sell them, honestly, because you're just asking for an arm rampage, an, uh, an arm page to go on, you know? Later, Dredd, Dredd is talking to a forensic judge who's eaten a donut over an autopsy. We've seen this in Armitage, too. Always a big fan of just the um, medical examiner, like, eating lunch mid-autopsy and stuff. Yes, just so over it, they can just yeah, their they stomach is care. solid. Yeah, deal. Exactly. <laughs> the wounds are consistent with the jigsaw killer, and they're analyzing the writing now. And Dread wants basically everything cross-referenced with all the registered dyslexics in Mega City One. As Dread heads to uh, TV Central. There he's interviewed in a public appeal to identify these found body parts, and he advises citizens to start squealing ASAP. (laughs) And TV's like, we can't offer you anonymity, but we can't offer you justice. (laughs) (laughs) That night in an ice cream truck, Kundo is moving around a bunch of severed arms which are mixed in with the ice cream which is no good don't mix your arm don't don't miss business with pleasure right your arms and your creams no good <laughs> meanwhile dread is busting a sugar house as a perp complains about his restraints and dread gets a call to go to saint atwill's church and the fritz lang block who is the director of metropolis among other movies and when he goes there, he finds a fresh body nailed up to the cross. So the killer must be nearby. Put everybody on alert. Although I'm just thinking like, hey, didn't they just outlaw Christianity? Like like last right. episode, an episode or two oh. or several issues ago. Come on. Right. Yeah, yeah. Get to it, guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess that's different writers. You know, they're not paying attention to the. Maybe. Like, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, there should be. Like this is one Some of these sort things. of yeah. There, there, there's just not really any like Bible or like sort of here's what is and isn't in Mega City in Mega City One saying like yeah no there right. are there is a church with crosses in it versus there isn't or something like that. Right, right. Maybe it's a you know it's um you know it's a different religion you know yeah, there's christianity still, yeah like like grud's the... taking a lot of the imagery or something like that. It's possible. Right, it's, right. Maybe. It's a starry night in Mega City One as Kundo talks to a sugar junkie and gets attacked, but he brings out his cyber arm. It's more than enough to handle it. And then he goes to work on this man. He cuts him to pieces, but then realizes that his arm is the arm that he's been looking for. 
And he runs <laughs> off the giggler with it. You gotta love and, that feeling. When you finally yeah. find that arm you're looking for. Absolutely. It's that one perfect one, you know. An all points bulletin for the killer goes out as Kundo uh, carries the arm back to his ice cream truck and Judge Geary finds the body of the sugar junkie. Later at Sacred Heart Memorial Hospital, Dredd arrives and the victim, it seems, just died moments ago. Got his arm severed, but he managed to, to survive. And while it's rough that he died... We can bring in Psy Judge Legree to come over and help the situation. She's got this sort of curly hair and she mind melds with the victim, explodes with power, and is soon able to create a facial, like a, a, a face sketch of the killer, which they then run against their record. And it turns out to be con- like it fully comes in as Kundo Del Mundo, who is an amputee and is dyslexic. And that fits the profile. And so Dredd orders him to be caught. Kundo heads back um, from his truck, but is suddenly surrounded by a bunch of uh, judges. But instead of surrendering, he pops this like laser knife, like a lightsaber, like a mini lightsaber from his cyber arm and slashes his truck's fuel tank and it explodes in a big burst. They're in a tunnel, it seems, when this is happening, and that's all soon engulfed in flames as Kundo escapes in the explosions. Soon the judges are also checking out Kundo's apartment, finding weird religious circles and tons of bodies just, like, jammed into his refrigerator and stuff. Dredd orders the place turned upside down and asks for Kundo's psychiatric file because he's not getting away this time. Reaching the end of this one here, Kundo reaches into his brain to think of what to do and meets mentally with this weird character of the Giggler, who's sort of like a like a ventriloquist dummy or like a like a jigsaw from from the Saw movies or something like that. Oh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he tells Kundo to find a hospital and make them operate on him for some kind of transplant thing, I guess, but says to bring plenty of firepower. Dredd receives a message and Kundo, it seems, has a standing appointment with Mercy Hospital. Like as soon as he finds an arm that matches his blood type, he can just come in and get it uh, transplanted, I guess. And so I guess all of these serial murders were just kind of a smokescreen to cover his search for a perfect arm transplant, I guess. Yeah. Hey, medical is still tough in the future, too, than it is out here in America. You know, yeah, (laughs) it takes extraordinary means. Absolutely. Dredd goes to meet with a psychiatrist who wears daffodil eyeglasses and stacks blocks while telling Dredd that Kundo, oh yeah, that guy was totally crazy. Kept talking about something called the Elvet, the Velvet Underground and the Giggler, some psychic, some, uh, some mental character he made up based on a childhood toy. Um, yeah, he was all about, he knew all about it, but then let him out on the street, I guess, thought he wouldn't be a danger. It was the state of these public services. At Drexler Memorial Hospital, Kundo bursts into an operating theater, gun in hand, demanding that the doctors sew that arm he got back onto him in an operation. Hurry, I'm, I'm, I don't got time to wait. Dredd gets a call as he's taken out another perp and heads over. The doc is sewing the arm onto Kundo, and it seems to just kind of work fine, which I'm I'm not sure that's how it works, Eli. Just if you just, (laughs) they just jam an arm on you, and then it just connects up like that. Um, Anyways. Are you a doctor? 
I am not. You're right. You're right. I'm not a doctor. I I, I don't know for sure. Just something tells me that's not right is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Dead arm on just your weird arm nub. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it probably works fine, honestly. Yeah. Hospital (laughs) security is alerted as Kundo rejects any and all anesthetic for this operation. Um, And yeah, everything seems to be okay. Security comes barging in. There's a gunfight. And this place is full of fire and explosions as Dredd arrives. Kundo's escaped again! Dredd runs in pursuit through a crowded mall. Eventually... Um, both he and Kundo see it, a giant store installation of the toy that his vision of the Giggler is based on. Kundo tries to head over to it, getting in an elevator, but as he does, Dredd arrives on the scene and fires a ricochet bullet into the elevator just in time with him, and it just bounces around and swishes him up like cheese, basically. Yeah. Kundo gets shot a bunch of times, and he'll live, but he will probably have to have all of his arms and legs removed. Oh, no! Because, because, Eli... No matter what the giggler will tell you, the Justice Department always gets the last laugh. Oh! Oh! (laughs) I also want to admit, that arm didn't look like it worked really, fit really well. Like, Mm -hmm. I would have went with a different, maybe buffer arm, or one that wasn't gray, at least match the skin tone. You know, whatever. Maybe he thought he could just, just, yeah, do some exercises afterwards and buff it up or something like that. Or maybe it might just been more blood type than anything else. But who's to say? Well, that's weird to get the blood type by looking at it. He's like, yes, I see it. This is my blood type. (laughs) Insanity, (laughs) you know? The the arm madness. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. He was in the arms of madness, Eli. Mm, very poetic. Yeah, nice. If I say so myself. <laughs> Let's just continue on with Dread here. Our second Dread story, LaDonna Fever. Script robot John Smith, art robot Robert, or David Milgate, I should say. Letter robot Tom Frame. First time on the podcast for David Milgate, who will go on to do uh, the first Sinister Dexter story in 2000 AD. News reporter Spiv Watchell is reporting that hip-hop star LaDonna has come to Mega City One, selling tons of albums and concert tickets, being all sexy and whatnot. She's clearly a send-up of, um, of the singer Madonna, who in 1993 was fresh off of both the movies uh, A League of Their Own and Body of Evidence, was about to go on the Girly Show tour. Anyway... Other judges think LaDonna's okay, but Dredd doesn't trust her attitude, and Sectors 8, 10, and 11 are all full of gawkers checking her out as she makes her with the city. The whole city's lovesick for her, and we gotta do something about it. The judges are digging up dirt on her, and they find that she used to be just plain Jane Esther Gilroy, but she got a body job and became beautiful. But even through that, she's an exemplary citizen. She even received a commendation for her work during Necropolis. And uh, she was apparently a member of city defense at the Sandra Bernhard block, who was, who was a, a, a comedian and a friend and r- rumored lover of Madonna in uh, the early 90s. Dredd still doesn't trust LaDonna, though. So he calls in Tech Division and a riot squad to go to her next concert, now swarming with citizens. 
Dredd watches the show intently until finally LaDonna does something. And, like, listen, there's a lot of, like, sort of bondagey, like, sex, <laughs> like, like, implied sex stuff going on in this concert. I'm not sure what exactly crosses the line. But whatever it is, she slips up, and Dredd has the place swarmed, booking her for public indecency. As you might imagine, the crowd isn't happy about this and throws garbage at Dredd, so he has them hosed down with riot foam. And then he orders all of the junk that was thrown at him to be fingerprinted so that everybody who threw stuff at him can then be arrested because of it, which I thought was kind of a fun thing, just in the, like, like counterpoint of why, why would you even bring Rotten Tomatoes to a to a concert to throw at somebody? You know, why, why would you have an egg to throw at Dredd's helmet? <laughs> um, in Isoblock 911, the sinner, the singer has been given 30 years for various crimes as her husband and manager complains. Thousands of citizens have assembled to demand her freedom as well as judges are being held. We, we see a sector house being held hostage by the leader of the Shell Silverstein City Defense and president of the LaDonna fan club. And she just ends up blowing herself up. Um... Dread goes before the chief judge and the chief judge Magruder says the crime's up 32% because of all this. We got to do something like you were trying to stop crime by arresting LaDonna, but instead you've caused more crime, basically. They can't compromise, though. Like they can't just let her go and give in to demands. But luckily, Magruder has a plan. Soon, it does in fact seem that LaDonna will be released to the public and everybody's overjoyed. But the door's open and it's an old lady. Oh, geez, Eli. They put her mm-hmm. in the time stretcher. So she did 30 mm-hmm. years of prison in a couple days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> her husband slash manager is incensed, especially when it seems that this stretching also voided all like all of her record contracts so that the rights mm-hmm. to her music devolved to the Justice Department and they've then seized everything, I guess. Anyway, send out the riot police. Get out of here. No one cares about this old lady anymore. That's the, uh, yeah. that's the moral. <laughs> oh, I should say, in our reality, Eli, like literally as we're recording this, Madonna just got in trouble for, for posting risque photos on, uh, mm-hmm. on Instagram. And this is 30 years from when this <laughs> comic came out. So she still kind of got it, I guess. I don't know. Right. Or That's 28 funny. years, but still, like, you know, okay. I, I just thought that was funny. Yeah. That is funny. And reminded me, I need to check Instagram to just, you know, confirm your your tales, you know. Yeah. Listen. All research. Yeah. If you look up, up, up Madonna, Instagram or whatever, you'll find something. It's It exists. Right. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. Uh, how, yeah, it's, uh, it, you can't write this stuff. This mm-hmm. truth is funnier than uh, more weirder than fiction. Yeah, and I did like Mill Gates' art here, just sort of drawing all of these dance scenes and like angry mm-hmm. mega citizens and stuff like that. It was very right. fun. Right. It did bother me that he did draw like condoms thrown on dread, which I thought was like I was down with most of it. And I was like, oh okay, oh gross. I mean you that's gotta, why gotta, that's why you gotta bust the sexy show, because they got they got right. like live ordinance there. You gotta be careful. Right. You know? Yeah, you gotta, and somebody's gotta go and fingerprint that and then find the dude and whatever. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I'm, it's a hard job. I'm sure a mega, city, a mega city judge has fingerprinted far worse things than that, honestly. I, I guess that's very true. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know. But hey, speaking of uh, sexy older ladies, no, I don't know. Whatever. Oh. <laughs> I don't know how much older her she's supposed to be. But anyway, thrill to or story to judge Hershey. <laughs> Scrift robot Igor Goldkind, art robot Kevin Cullen, letting robot Gordon Robson. First time in the magazine for clown, writer, e- and, P- and 2000 AD PR guy Igor Goldkind, as well as the first time we'll see our, we've seen artist Kevin Cullen, who will go into a bunch of stuff here in uh, Volume 2 of the magazine. Judge Her- yeah. <laughs> and this is, a, this is a rare black and all black and white story here in the mag as well, which I thought was pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah, always my favorite. And this particular artist... I, I enjoy their artwork a lot, uh, but I'll, tell, I'll talk all about that later. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, we can get to it. So Judge Hershey's on the trail of a perp. He's entered the weather station Siegfried 7, and she's in pursuit. Hershey climbs into a manhole and then climbs down this long ladder into the sewers. And as she does, she sort of reflects on her past and the memories that she holds dear. She sees a figure come out of the shadows, sort of an Uncle Fester type dude. And she th- and she as she thinks about the hard trading that she's had through her time in the Justice Department, she orders this man to give up. But instead, he reaches into his coat, so she opens fire. But he was just reaching for a card, saying he's a low IQ maintenance worker. He didn't even know what was going on, and Hershey killed him. Oh no! Hershey reads the card with horror and calls it into patrol. Or into control, the perp she was after has been caught elsewhere. And then she's called down to the slab, which is a we uh, very like high crime part of Mega City One, um, for another Walker murder. And I guess that's what we're calling like these sort of, I don't know, fetishy prostitutes that ply their trade down here. Um, the woman that's been killed was working kind of a sexy teacher gimmick and was assaulted and then strangled to death with a yellow ribbon. Hershey consults another female judge. There's not a lot of evidence, but they do see, see a, uh, a CCTV camera watching the street. So Hershey goes to check that and orders every walker in the slab rounded up for questioning, which doesn't seem to, be very, which doesn't seem to make her very popular. Hershey's watching the video of the murder, and it seems like the security camera can get a, has a good image of the victim, but the killer's not in frame at all. Like, honestly, the camera's almost from a killer's eye view as it happens. And as she keeps looking at it for clues, she gets a hard time from, from Sector Chief Chinsky. He's sort of this <laughs> big, fat, you know, mean authority, authority judge, basically. He but also gives... Chinsky, you gotta yeah. be. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, nominative determinism here. He was born with that name, born to be a sector chief. <laughs> he gives Hershey a hard time about the maintenance worker, and she wants to know why there's been no reports on these Walker murders. Hershey thinks it's negligent at best and suspicious at worst. Anyway, one of the picked up Walkers claims to know the victim, so Hershey goes to check it out. And elsewhere, we see a row of dolls, one clearly looking like the teacher murder victim, as a strange voice asks their mommy to play with the dolls. Whoa. (laughs) So Hershey walks into an interrogation room to find a woman with cat ears being beaten up by judges. And so she angrily orders them all out and tries to good cop this uh, cat, this uh, kitten lady. She isn't into it, though. And says that walkers are just walking fantasies for the judge or for the Johns. No one really cares. 
And when the John's pathetic fantasies are disappointing, then they take it out on you, which is bleak. <laughs> we learned that the first victim of these crimes was sort of a nurse theme, and that in the end, Hershey isn't that. And those are she's the uh, the Walker says that in the end, Hershey isn't that different from these fetish ladies because she wears a uniform too. You got to think about it. Mm. Hershey says this isn't over, and the kitten says that it'll only end if this guy kills a judge. We see a man's wide eyes, a locked door with the knots of wood on the door forming these like staring accusatory eyes, which I thought was a really neat effect. And then yeah, five, oh, sorry, yeah, and then five <laughs> doll heads wrapped in yellow ribbon, and a naked man begging his mommy to let him out. At the Sector House, Chinsky apologizes for his rough first meeting with Hershey, but says that he doesn't like how she's sweeping in here like an avenging angel. She doesn't understand what it's like to be here on the slab. He doesn't like her ordering around his judges, so the two of them will be working together on this case. He sent Judge, uh, Judge Stone out undercover. And while Hershey thinks she should have backup, Chin Chinsky forbids it and puts Hershey on a desk. Oh, cop on the edge stuff here. Badge and gun, etc. <laughs> we see Judge Stone, who's a lady judge in a miniskirt holding a whip with a gun hidden inside of her thigh-high boots. She's supposed to, uh, or she's surprised to see someone, clearly a judge from the way she talks to them. But then... This judge grabs her and things go black. Soon, Chinsky gets reports that judges have found Stone's body. She's dead and he is clearly shocked. Mm. Stone's body gets loaded into, an amb into a meat wagon as judges swarm around. And we see the eyes of the killer. Judge, judge Chinsky storms into the video room where Hershey's watching the security tapes. The murder victims, Stone included... And Hershey says that Stone must have been killed by someone she knew. Chinsky says he's mobilized all units to 24-hour patrol the area until Stone's killers are found. While he didn't care about the walkers, he does care about a, a, a dead judge, which is what Kitten was forecasting yeah. earlier. Hershey, any, Hershey, though, is off the desk, back on the street, but she decides to head over to a ribbon factory. Or, it seems... A genetics laboratory? Hmm. Meanwhile, we see the ribbon in the hand of the killer as they approach that catwalker. But wait, no. It's actually Judge Hershey, who has found the kitten in a cafe and has a deal for her. Um, or sort of, or sorry. And she goes to talk to the kitten and the, and the cat explains that the walkers have a deal with judges um, and for protection but it's a deal and like it's not sort of one specific regime or like Chinsky's rule or something. It's something that goes all the way back to the, you know, way, way back here in the slab. Just the sort of general corruption stuff. Hershey wants Kitten to help her catch the killer. And the kitten agrees after this Devlin Wall looking guy comes by and asks Hershey if she's a walker too. Like, whoa, the judge just let you get away with being a hooker with a judge theme? That's crazy. <laughs> we see the killer handling a kitten doll as Hershey threatens to call the SJS on uh, Chinsky. But instead, though, she has him call off all of his patrols and have just one other judge join her on a routine patrol because she's certain the killer is a judge and she'll find them. 
She heads out with Judge Jackson, who's skeptical that a judge could be a killer like this. They split up and agree to meet where the kitten usually walks to sort of meet her clients. Suddenly, the kitten is approached by a judge. Who is the killer? He starts to choke Chick Kitten with the ribbon when we see Hershey arrive and draw on the murderer. It's Judge Jackson! Oh, what a twist! <laughs> so we, there's a quick quiet moment and Jackson tries to explain that, oh, no, this isn't what it looks like. I'm doing official judge stuff, I assure you. But <laughs> right. Hershey just hits him upside the head of the barrel of her gun. Um, and yeah, she buffaloes him instead. She thinks he's down, but he's not. And so he runns off into the night and Hershey gives chase. Kitten shouting that uh, she would, she, I should have known it was one of you as, uh, as, as Hershey goes. <laughs> Once more, Hershey follows Jackson into weather, weather control and the dark tunnels beneath. But this time Jackson's going full like warriors on Hershey or, or like, you know, creepy creep fight. Like I can hear you. I can smell your fear. <laughs> that kind of stuff <laughs> from the darkness. And then he attacks Hershey, prepares to strangle her with the ribbon. Hershey tries to reason with him. But um, it's um, but it seems like sort of what she's put together so, um, some long-standing abuse from Jackson's mother, combined with his judge training, has messed him up quite a bit. Suddenly, Judge Chinsky appears. He calls out and shoots Jackson dead. Hershey's safe, and we learn that Kitten called it in. Hershey explains that she knew it was Jackson because that genetic library she went to showed that he had a recessive gene for an intense sexual drive. Okay, I guess. And it seems that he actually didn't, never even had a mother. He was a clone and just kind of crazy. Uh, okay. I, I don't know. <laughs> Finally, it seems Kitten gave Hershey the name of all the, the names of all the crooked judges, and Shinsky wasn't one of them. He stinks, but not like that. Like he's not corrupt. He's just sort of pu, you know. <laughs> then Hershey and Kitten share a quick glance that I'm not sure how to read. The end. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about the wrap up for this, but I I really liked sort of right. the, the parts leading up to it actually. Yeah. Uh, for sure, it was Chinsky, but they they got me. Yeah, I thought it might be and, him. Uh, like they lay it out to be him early on, but then you sort of see him react in real time to learning about Stone's death. That sort of keeps you from thinking that it's hit, or sort of right. like removes him from the suspect pool. I think. Right. I was I was going with um, my theory was split personalities. Like he Ooh. he wasn't aware that he was doing it. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think uh, that's what I just, that's what. Is actually happening with this Jackson guy, I think. Right. You know. Yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah, but I agree with that wrap up. I don't understand that he kind of just threw a bunch of things at it. Like, that's a reason to mur be a murderer, right? Yeah, maybe have a sex drive and you're a clone. Like, it was sure, why not? Yeah, it was definitely one of these things where, like, it's kind of a mystery and maybe they give you some, to some clues it, when, when you see Hershey going to, like, the genetic library mm -hmm. thing of just oh i bet the killer's gonna have something to do with genes or something like that 
Right. But like they didn't really make Jackson a potential or anybody besides Chinsky really a potential sus, uh, suspect and things like that. Right. So from, from our perspective, yeah. Yeah. And uh, with that last little glance, I think there was supposed to be a pun there and they forgot to put it in there. It That's the only reason like I don't know it. why else they would. Yeah, because there's the. There's the Chinsky, you stink stuff, but that's not really enough for the weird glance that they give each other at the end, if you ask me. I don't know. I'm a, I'm a student of sidelong glances, Eli, so I know when they're appropriate right. and when they aren't. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I absolutely love the art style. I'm trying to figure out how they did it. I think a lot of brushes, a lot of ink, hmm. but I love my black and white, and I love my uh, uh, when most of the page is black. That's like my favorite. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. It gives it a very, like, yeah, like, like you say, a very dark, like, noir kind of, like, film noir kind of feel to it, which I think is really good for, like, a serial killer story like this, you know? Mm-hmm. It really kind of, it's a, it's a dark su- subject because it's about murder and, like, um, and, like, sex stuff and things like that. So I think that this, uh, this style of it's very fitting for what the, for the content of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. And speaking of the long dead, Eli, (laughs) let's go to story three, Hark and Burr. Script robot Cy Spencer, art robot Dean Ornstrom, letting robot Fiona Stevenson. This is the first time we're seeing writer Cy Spencer, who go on to write a lot of stuff for the magazine, including most recently the Returners in like the present day uh, megs. And I believe it's also the first time we've seen letterer Fiona Stevenson here as well. In the town of Dunedin on the cursed earth, Hark and Burr's antique shop stands as a gaunt, as the gaunt and drawn features of a, of, of a man, or sorry, as a man with gaunt and drawn features enters and asks about some Egyptian stuff. They are uh, antique dealers. They bring out a sarcophagus and um, sell it pretty quickly as the large bowler-hatted Mr. Burr goes to, goes to follow these buyers on his bicycle. He breaks into their house and finds a huge sanctum full of ancient Egyptian stuff and ladies and pharaoh headdresses and things like that. <laughs> he tries to hit on those ladies, which then alerts the guards, and he's got to run. Meanwhile, Hark, this crow-like dude in a top hat, hopes that... They can find out who bought the first sarcophagus. They can sell the two other ones they've got soon. When a mummy rises from the first one and somehow starts calling the other mummies to life. (laughs) Burr arrives back on the shop, back at the shop, shouting to lock the door. And now they're caught between a guard and a mummy place. (laughs) I thought that was I sorry, I thought I was pretty pleased by that little pun there. Right. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, it was it was rough. No. <laughs> the guards are after Hark and Burr, but the mummies themselves just seem to want to kill and talk like yuppies, scheduling lunches and stuff, I guess. The mummies walk off right past Hark and Burr, who have disguised themselves as a lamp and suit of armor uh, re- respectively. They then go after them. The mummy, the mummy, a live mummy is worth big bucks after all. 
Piling into a carriage, they sneak into a nearby pyramid-shaped mound where we see the mummies talk about stock investing and Burr investigates around finding some paperwork. These guys aren't pharaohs. They're just a bunch of stock investors that put themselves in suspended animation until the market recovered. Jeez. Hark actually walks in and starts talking stocks with these guys and they get along pretty well, actually. Until Burr decides to put a stop to it, goes on a loudspeaker, and announces that the Davy Jones Index is plummeting, and various other sort of joke, grim financial news. The mummies freak out, they're ruined, not even their giant cell phones are working anymore. They start to kill themselves at each other, and Burr's wired the place to blow, so it's time to leave. Hark and Burr ride home. Hark says they could have been rich, but Burr chides him about running to his mummy. Wow. <laughs> right. Yeah. I heard a saying. It was that uh, booze for dad jokes and puns are like claps. That's, that's, the, that's how you clap for them is by booing them. I could see I it. I feel a lot of that from this. Very much. <laughs> Very, yeah, round of applause if that, is the, uh, if that is the standard. But that's all for now for Hark and Burr. They will return in October of this year. Oh, and I should mention, sorry, from before that um, Judge Hershey, she, we finished her story in the previous one, but she'll be back in, uh, in August of this year. Nice. Nice. Love Hershey. Yeah, but yeah, fun little. I don't know. I thought Harkenberg was okay. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's very much trying to be a humor strip. I think just hear yeah. some wacky characters and wacky situations and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think they do it really well because it didn't feel over the top. It was kind of like um, poking fun at some like archetypes, which I thought was fun. I mm-hmm. like the. Oh, we're mummies. No, we're brokers. We were just trying to wait for the stock to. Oh no, stocks are down. Let's all kill ourselves. I do kind of like the idea of a yeah, yeah, of of a yuppie mummy or something like that. That's that's solid for sure. Right when they were coming out with their cell phones, I thought that was a joke. Like just them being on their gigantic cell phones in the future. Yeah, the big brick ninety-three cell phones for sure. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Oh man, so weird. All right. Well, we're getting to, we're getting on here. Let's take a take. Let's let's take a quick pause from thrills just for a minute and check out some covers, editorials, and dreadlines. It's all the non-story stuff here. Issue twenty-seven. Mark Wilkinson draws Dread bursting out of a puzzle. Can Dread put the pieces together or put together the pieces of the Jigsaw Murders? The editorial welcomes us to the year 2015 and talks up all the stories that are starting this issue. There's credit text that says, judges, judges, judges. Letters ask about upcoming stories and complain about the violence and heavy metal dread. There's more questions about Hershey's first name and even a writer that liked Soul Sisters. Whoa. And this comic came with a free gift, which was a uh, small... Uh, jigsaw version of this jigsaw cover of Judge Dredd. But I don't think the jigsaw pieces matched up to the jigsaw pieces on the cover. So, you know, it's a meta or something. Right. Yeah. Well, missed opportunity. Mm. Issue 28, Kevin Walker draws a close-up and worried-looking Judge Anderson investigating the dark side of the moon. That's P-S-I-D. P-S-I-D-E. 
The brief editorial talks of Harkin Burr and plugs Missionary Man, and the credit text says, Pyramids of Mars. Mid-issue, there's an ad for the Judge Dredd Mega Special, which we talked about last episode, um, with its fancy love and hate covers and themes. Um, there is a Dreadlines, this issue, Eli, but they've outsmarted themselves by making it a very snazzy white text on a red and black background, which has a cool look. But I cannot read this at all. Like, the letters are impossible for me to see. So I'm just going to move past it, honestly. <laughs> I, can't, I can't read it. I, I'm too old, you know? It's terrible. <laughs> it is tough. Proc 29, or issue 29, I should say. Unforgiving, Frank Quitely draws the missionary man. And the cover here is, clearly, is pretty clearly based on the poster for the Clint Eastwood movie Unforgiven sort of with his back to the uh it with his back to us and his hands clasped behind with a, with, with a gun in one of them that's that's what Clint Eastwood does on, on the poster of that movie the editorial mentions missionary man and apologizes to the hell's angels for the for using one of their symbols in issue 19 okay and the credit text says unforgivable Dreadlines has a list of awards that 2000 AD in the magazine won at the recent Comic World magazine reader's polls, and letters are very complimentary of Sleaze and Ryder, ask for the location of Bruja on um, a Judge Dredd uh, map that they published recently, and and, uh, there's some more compliments of the Jesus Syndrome story as well as the Armitage flashbacks, and a wonder wondering about whether Judge Dredd could be made into an anime or other sort of animated TV show, which I'd watch. I don't know. I've, I've yeah, seen yeah. at least one an- or yeah, I've definitely seen an animatic of it that a friend of the show, Steve Reed showed me once, which was pretty amazing. Um, yeah. And there's also just sort of a couple other like test things out there. Just like, here's like 10 seconds of a cartoon dread driving his lawmaster or something like that. That are always very fun to yeah. see. Yeah. I, I feel like if they made ghost in the shell work, then they can totally make judge dread work. They just got to, the writing is going to be key. You got to get people who can know how to get a good pun and just mm. let it ride. Just, they need a lot, except all the booze they need. Yeah, that. That's the, that's the first step for sure. <laughs> issue 30 hunter or hunted hershey stalks a killer this very moody cover by mark wilkinson the editorial mentions the end of the hershey story and three new stories on the horizon which we'll see next episode mid-issue there's an ad for upcoming dread story shimura which is going to be judged which is going to be stu- a, 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 a a judge in hondo city so it's gonna have a lot of japanese stuff and samurai things and stuff like that very very big in the early 90s and i think it's a, it's a thrill i'm interested in us getting to for sure uh, Dreadlines, the uh, the letters, has a debate sparked for, sparked by a letter from friend of the show, Martin Price, from issue 26. Sorry for not shouting you out that Bart. I, I apologize. Someone who's been, who's guest starred on this show once. There's a couple pretty long letters, both of which pretty much say that violence mixed with thoughtful storytelling can be pretty excellent, which I agree with. I think, you know, violence is a good, good lubricant for, for drama, certainly. Um, one letter calls out Simon Bisley clones and then just the general muddy tones of the magazine, which is a challenge in general, I think with the paint, with the color painted art that we get in a lot of the Judge Red magazine, Eli, just cause the paper is pretty bad, honestly. And it means that a lot of times the colors can just sort of get like, sort of just 
devolve to brown no matter what they try to make them look like, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, others sort of talk about, like, they make a point that Dredd isn't supposed to be a role model and, or that alternately, like, hey, man, like, this comic's just pictures of, that are drawn. Like, why are you freaking out? And I'm less, I'm less compelled by those arguments, I got to say. And I will say that I've generally noticed a real rise in graphic violence as we've been moving through stuff, both in the, both in the progs and especially here in the magazine with, like, Heavy Metal Dread and stuff. And while I'm mm-hmm. not against it, it can be a little stomach-churning sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. I yeah, I, I, I was gonna say I'd have to compare, but then you brought up heavy metal dread, and I was like, "Oh yeah, definitely." Yeah, <laughs> like think, that's just know. sort of an absolute level of like, "Oh, like this is a little gross, guys." I don't know. <laughs> and like, honestly, if I got to tell you, like, speaking of graphic violence, there's at least one pretty gruesome murder that we're about to see in Story Four: Anderson Side Division. You know, stuff that you couldn't actually things that they have pictures of in the course of like I like that in the violence debate they have pictures from both um Anderson and Missionary Man of just hey you want violence? We got violence for you. It's you know <laughs> have all the violence you want. <laughs> right. Anderson, a script about Alan Grant, art about Kevin Walker, letter about Steve Potter. All right, here we go. It's the first time in the magazine for ABC Warriors artist Kevin uh, Kevin or Kev Walker, Eli, but you might know him better from the 400 or so magic cards that he's done. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I felt he, something familiar. Yeah, he did. Uh, he did Gush. He did Sphinx of the Steel Wind. He did a okay, kitchen. I know that one. Kitchen Finks and uh, like sort of the primary Lano War Elves card as well. Those are sort of my goodness. Looking looking through his list on Gatherer, those were some of the famous ones, like the nice. most famous cards I'm, that I could see. I'm I'm intimately familiar with Sphinx of Steel Wind. I I didn't know if I told you, but I collect Sphinx cards. I did know so that. I that's what, I, specifically <laughs> when I was looking through his list, I was like, all right, how many which Sphinxes has he done? Because Eli will know will know which ones those ones are for sure. <laughs> And he's drawing an ex- or he's he's doing an extremely buff Anderson here. Anderson has been do taking her protein as she heads to Mars. We see her on her way, quoting the Bible as her ship lands on the red planet, and we see a giant white base made of like domes and blobs. It's a very sort of um, I don't know bulbous Mars base. She's narrating in the past tense. And in a sort of moment of foreshadowing, says now she knows there is a god and she really wants to kill him, which is disturbing. Right. Yes. Never a good sign. Yeah. Foreshadow. But so this base is called Eden and Anderson is welcomed by the elected counselor, Jirak Munden. And she's the first of this team to arrive. She has to turn in all of her weapons, like not just her lawgiver pistol, but like all the explosive stuff she's got in her utility belt. Although she is able to keep her lipstick. Um, <laughs> after the long flight, she goes to relax, floating around all sexy in this in a no-gravity pool. But as she does this, a figure with a huge taser rifle 
suddenly appears and they because they only have electric weapons here because bullets might breach the dome and mm. you know expose that you know basically total recall them if you recall how <laughs> things were happening in that movie um but yeah but so this guy's got a big taser rifle and opens fire on her she barely dodges but a martian playboy gets hit by the electrical charge and explodes the assassin goes to rapid fires anderson um flies to some sort of zero g buoy she pulls some wiring out of it, goes flying off to the side as a pink-clad Mars judge arrives on the scene and reduces the assassin to a smoking husk over Anderson's objections. She tries to read his dying mind, but doesn't get much but a troubling darkness. There aren't a lot of leads, and this is certainly worrying. But anyway, soon we meet the other members of the of the uh, mission that's heading out here. There's Danny Khan, a linguist from Sinoblock and a cybernetic monkey. And I thought Sinoblock got killed in Judgment Day 2. Or maybe that was a Sinosit or something. Some of these uh, Chinese areas. There's Dag Zinsky, the paleoarchaeologist from Glasnost City. Reverend X, the religious expert from Britsit, and then Vassar, Ginley, and Dorn, who are these genetically engineered Eden judges. So there's these big beefcake, uh, 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 beefcake dudes, apparently grown in vats to enforce the law up here. And then uh, Jinrak Mundred, uh, the diplomat from Mars, and of course Anderson from Mega City One, a telepath. And they're headed to the goddamn face of Mars to see what's up. I don't. I you remember, did love that. Yeah, I don't know if you remember this conspiracy theory that's sort of from the from the Viking Mars Mars missions. They took a picture of this mountain range on Mars and it looks like kind of a blurry yeah. face, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I, t- I totally remember it. Yeah. Um, Nowadays, and then you find we, out that it's just angles. Yeah, we've we, we've retaken those pictures, and it's pretty clearly just like. A mountain and some shadows and stuff. That's in real right. life. <laughs> in right. Dreads world, there's a giant goddamn face in there. It's very crazy. Right. I actually really love that callback. Like, uh, um, and I just like that idea. I'm going to try to do that. And if I make a story involving Mars, I also have Absolutely. to have a giant face monument. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you know, it's it's really awesome if it's true. Like, you know, for the record, mm-hmm. <laughs> like. <laughs> That's a very striking thing here as they go into it, for sure. Yeah, yeah. We learned that long ago there was a civilization that lived on Mars and that there's an entryway that's just opened in the face about three days ago, and that's why Anderson's been called up. They're going to investigate what's in there, but first they're, they're, they're going to take these oxygen pills so that they can breathe on Mars without having to wear um, funky spacesuits. Because, you know, no one wants to draw spacesuits. Let's just draw these regular guys. It's fine. Right. <laughs> They head into the head as Reverend X asks if all this ancient alien stuff is really true or what. And Khan's not impressed by this religious talk as her monkey, Aunt Adam, it's called, calls Anderson toots. You know, as you do. There's a long hallway that leads to a black, gooey portal. They try to send a robot drone into it, but the drone explodes. Anderson tries to scan it but doesn't pick anything up, and suddenly Adam the monkey runs and jumps through the goo safely, as it seems like it only accepts organic matter or something like that. I don't know, but, like, it's fine. 
with electrical stuff if it's attached to you, like if it's, you know, oh. your communicator or the or your gun <laughs> or something like that. But if it's if it's not wrapped around organic matter, if it's just a robot, that's unacceptable, Eli. Yeah, the organic provides a protective field of a certain distance that something. protects electric. Yeah, like, I'm just saying stuff. that if that's what it was, they should have to go through these things naked or something like that. You right. Know, yeah, whatever. yeah, it's a clear answer. But whatever, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll give them a pass, I guess. Uh, I, I Sus- guess. Suspension of disbelief. You got to yeah. suspend your dis- disbelief. I'm trying. <laughs> um, so everybody heads in after it. They find themselves in this giant, semi-organic seeming hallway. The walls covered in flashing screens and what appears to be cuneiform writing, the writing of uh, ancient Mesopotamia. It seems Adam has found something else. A giant white robot monster! <laughs> Danny screams and everybody runs over, finding her being picked up by the be- by the by the machine and being just blasted in the eyes by lasers, which is a bad scene. It then lowers her seemingly dead body, smoke coming out of her eye sockets. The guards open fire, but their weapons do nothing. Anderson goes for her last ditch effort, which is using the high explosive hidden in her utility belt buckle to explode the robot. And it works. As Adam, the robot's destroyed, but we see Adam standing over Danny Khan's smoking head, asking Anderson to help her. We see a bunch of judges trying to cut through the side of the Mars Pyramid as it seems that the uh, entryway is sealed up behind, be- behind our heroes, but neither drills nor lasers are working. Danny dies in Anderson's arms, saying that the robot was somehow testing her while it was burning her eyes out. That doesn't make sense to me, but I don't know. I guess it works. But anyway, now uh, Anderson is left to take care of Adam the monkey. I think another of these guard judges was killed in this attack as well. And Judge Dorn was crippled, like one of his legs was blown off, basically. And their communicators can't reach the outside. So things are bad, basically. Meanwhile, Judge Vassar is very keen to keep exploring, although Anderson demands that they carry Dorn with them instead of leading them behind. Reverend X fools around with some kind of alien computer, bringing up images of the head on Mars and then the Egyptian Sphinx. And we realize that it's all true. All this ancient alien stuff, Eli. Aliens. I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens, you know. (laughs) It was. Yes, right. Basically, (laughs) yeah. Um... We see like there's a map of Earth with all these like purported alien sign alien sites around the world marked off. And there's just a lot of talk about like the Anunnaki, the Nephilim, or the yeah, the Nephilim, whatever you call them. Just again, this chariots of the gods, ancient aliens, like this basically the stuff they say in the ancient aliens that like what well, we mm-hmm. have been told have been gods all this time are actually space aliens, and maybe mm-hmm. they directed our evolution to go from being apes to thinking dudes, and uh, all this other kind of stuff. And there's a lot of things built into like, oh, but like you know, could. A guy could a bunch of Aztecs that are just silly brown people be able to build a pyramid? I don't think so. Got to be aliens, right. that kind of stuff. You're right. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> you know, like there's a there's some undercurrents in the ancient alien stuff. You like that's what I'm saying, right? You know, yes. got to be careful. Yes, I like the theory. I like the the building that they're going through here. 
I'm okay yes. with it. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, I think it's interesting because like this is a lot of stuff that will then be borrowed by that sh- by that movie Stargate in '94. Mm-hmm. I guess we're predating that a little bit. You know, nice. maybe Fifth Element also. All this kind of stuff. Ancient Aliens. It's a good time. <laughs> um. Okay, so, but then also, even more surprising, someone's found the body of a frozen prehistoric human in some kind of suspension pod thing. Oh my gosh. The Reverend explains the ancient alien stuff. Humanity was a slave race, hyper-evolved by no good aliens thousands of years ago, all that kind of junk. The crew continues on, approaching a wall that looks like one of the, one of these big Mars faces, when suddenly Anderson has a vision. She tries to warn Professor Zinsky, but... Then some kind of spear just goes flying out of nowhere, and it's pretty awesome because it like catches him right underneath <laughs> his cheekbone, goes flying all the way through his head, and just smashes him up against the wall a couple of feet up off the ground. He's dead. All right, very haunting image, but uh, it was big, awesome. Like big, big close up of his eyes as this thing enters his cheek. It's pretty good. It's a booby trap. Oh, they're bulbin made boobies. Oh, Eli, you got to be careful. No, oh no. <laughs> Both Dorn and Jirak have had enough and want to leave this place, but Vassar won't hear it. And when Jirak pulls rank, Vassar shoots him in the back, instantly skeletonizing him. Anderson calls him a monster, but Vassar just orders everybody to keep moving. He also called Jirak Martian when he killed him, which is, I mean, he's a Martian too. You probably wouldn't use that language. I'm just saying if we're putting together a case here. Elsewhere, that caveman dude opens his eyes and his container opens, moves down the corridor. It seems like Adam uh, let him free from his uh, enclosure. Back with the team, Anderson tries to use her psi powers on Vassar, but he clubs her down. Like, don't even try it. She won't get up, so Vassar prepares to kill her when Adam the monkey comes back and tackles his gun out of the way and bites his fingers. Anderson gets up and kicks Vassar, but he's stronger than her, so this fight seems like it'll be rough. Um, Vassar Vassar then suddenly shoots Dorn with some sort of of gun in the tip of his finger, it seems like. And he keeps fighting with Anderson. Anderson's definitely sort of losing this fight slowly until suddenly she grabs Vassar's hair and pulls and just pulls the whole top of his head off. It's a Synthy Skin ski mask! Oh, it's old man Withers, Eli. He didn't want us investigating his Martian amusement park or something. So he pretended to be a ghost. (laughs) No, wait. It's actually Orlock the Assassin. Who's Anderson's long-running nemesis from East Mech 1. This spy, Russian spy, who's she's dueled with once or twice in the past. Right. Yeah. I know it was supposed to be a big reveal, but I was like, I don't remember this guy. Oh, no. We talked about him a little bit in our uh, Judge Anderson um, primer, like way back in, you know, before we started the show. But basically, Mm. he's just a secret. He's a, uh, you know, you know, secret agent man. Yeah. East Meg one is like the equivalent of the of of, uh, Soviet Russia in in Dred's world. And he's sort of a spy who he was a big player. 
at in Block Mania, which was the start of the Apocalypse War, which was this big like nuclear battle between Mega City One and East Meg One, which ended in Dread okay. dropping a bunch of nukes or no, sorry, using mm-hmm. East Meg One's own nukes to destroy the city. And so mm-hmm. Orlok's sort of one of the last survivors of that of East Meg One and has sworn revenge on Mega City One and sort of Anderson specifically as they've locked horns mm-hmm. a couple times. Nice. Yeah, no. Yeah, cool. <laughs> I'm excited to see where it goes. I mean, they already did the thing where I believe the monkey's still alive, but I think mm-hmm. it's just Anderson, this guy, and a monkey. So I think the Reverend's still alive also. Like that that Reverend X guy, I think, is still alive. Mm-hmm. But we are definitely mm-hmm. we're definitely whittling down mm-hmm. the uh the the crew very quickly at this point. Right. right. Getting to that finale. I like yeah. it. Low on red shirts, absolutely. <laughs> and speaking of life being cheap in the far future, Eli, <laughs> let's go to Story 5, Missionary Man. Script by Gordon Rennie, art robot Frank Quitley, letting robot Annie Parkhouse. You can fool with your mother, Eli, or you can fool with your brother, but don't mess with this guy. Um, right. <laughs> Song, Missionary Man, by, by, the, by the Eurythmics, one of my faves. This is the... For, we've got a couple first appearances here by by big creatives. Uh, Gordon Rennie will go on to write a ton of stuff for both 2000 AD and the magazine, as well as a bunch of Warhammer stuff. And then uh, mm-hmm. Frank uh, Frank Quitely, whose name I always have trouble pronouncing. I believe it's Quite, yeah, Quitely. Although in my brain, I always say it's. I always think it as, as a Quietly, which is not. Yeah, that's what I was. Right, not what it is. <laughs> um. And he'll be here for a cup of coffee before then heading over to the U.S. and doing a ton of stuff, mostly with Grant Morrison and Mark Miller, including like All-Star Superman and Jupiter's Legacy nice. are some of his biggest uh, yeah, big yeah, side yeah. posts. Nice. Uh, I see that. Yeah, there's some of that yeah. here too already. I mean, cool. it's de- yeah, it's definitely er- early days for him. I think you can see some of, of, of where he'll go from what, mm-hmm. what, what we've got here. So we're on the Texas, on the Texas city border, a uh, big country, also bad country, a hard land that breeds hard men, and only a fool would try to bring the law out here, or a madman. We see such a man ride up to the town of Dukesville on a horse. He's got a wide, flat-brimmed hat and a preacher's collar and big guns on his hip. He says he's here for salvation and rides through the town, lamenting the sin and human weakness here. He heads at last to the Last Chance Saloon, where a bunch of mutants are playing cards. A big guy with a cigar is clearly like the boss of this town winning. He goes to pull in his chips when the preacher tosses something on the pile, an Outland Marshal badge. The mutant says he's got no jurisdiction and... This man introduces himself as Preacher Kane here on the Lord's business. The big mutant says they'll have to run him out of town, but Kane instead pulls a pair of just frankly gigantic six shooters and starts <laughs> blasting the place while qu- qu- quoting scriptures. One of his special sermons, he just again blasts dudes and starts shooting and and starts addressing the town. His gun just like it'll blow someone's head right off or put like a giant hole in the middle of somebody. Pretty solid here. 
He says he isn't here as a law man. He's going to bring the word of God to all you sinners. So either repent or die. He throws a Bible on the ground, then rides off. The town's I, thought there was thou shalt, I thought there was thou shalt not kill in there somewhere. Mm, well, no, I think that's that's, that's always... later because like oh. in the next story he asked that and he's like, what, you never heard of divine retribution? <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> God. The town folks, the townsfolk talk about going after him when one of them notices that the Bible that he left is ticking and the preacher reads about Sodom and Gomorrah as the town explodes behind him in a massive mushroom, uh, mushroom cloud. Not looking at the explosion. Very important, you know. <laughs> but I think this is a fun introduction to this character. I don't know. Just like, here's yeah. this guy. He's a crazy preacher. Just kills a ton of dudes. I, I have trouble with the, um, the motivation. Why do all that to then just blow up the whole town? Like, why mm. do the whole talking and like, ah, I'm going to bring the retribute and then just kill everyone who you talk to? Like, yeah, like, yeah. This seems like a real situation where you want to have like, you you kill all but one person or something yeah, like that. exactly. You let them leave to spread the story or, or whatever. Mm. Right. I mean, that's why he's crazy, you know, because he doesn't know how to plan this stuff. <laughs> so Preacher Kane riding through the cursed earth. He's either the angel, the angel of death himself or an insane former Texas city judge. But nobody knows him better than his deputy. Kane comes across a figure hanging from a tree. He cuts him down and kicks him awake. The Lord has called you for greater things. This cut-down guy introduces himself as Joe, a Tech City Buffalo soldier and best scout in the territories, hung for being a mutant. Kane calls him Resurrection Joe and cuts him free. They're going to teach his would-be killers some facts about the Universal Brotherhood of Man. So they ride into an anti-mutant sunset town, which is heavy. Um, and the locals there say they don't serve Joe's kind round here at the saloon um, and then Kane tosses the bartender out the window as he does this the sheriff and his goons show up and Kane tries to talk to him but they just lasso him and dra drag him off on horseback this doesn't please the missionary man so he pulls a knife and throws it in the back of the head of the uh, rider on the oh. horse dragging him then just starts literally blowing dudes' heads off, like wow. shooting, and just, their necks separate from their bodies. <laughs> Joe warns Kane about a sniper, and we see Kane then blow a giant hole in the chest of another goon. He knocks out a lady that attacks him, and then shoots the sheriff right through his badge. <laughs> And he's and the and Joe asks him like you said, what about thou shalt not kill? And Cain says, haven't you ever heard of divine retribution? He introduces himself, says he needs help bringing the Lord and righteous cleansing to this promised land, and deputizes Resurrection Joe to do so. They ride off into the wastes, the start of a beautiful friendship. The end of mission of mission of missionary man for now. He'll be back in December of ninety three. Uh, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I I like the action. I like the shooting. I have so many weird feelings about it. Like, uh, what's Resurrection Man? Did he did he resurrect him, or was that his mutant power, or like? 
I think was he was he just. Dead? I think he had just that that he was dying, and the missionary man got to him in time, basically. Yeah, but yeah, he okay. would have died anyway, and that's good enough to give somebody a nickname in an old west setting. I think. Uh, okay, that's fair. I'm wondering, does he not shoot women in the? body like it it's just possible that one yeah out. that's what it seems like he i you know i would i would hazard to guess that this that uh the missionary man has his own sense of honor about uh, shooting dames or something like that yeah, you know because he nuked a town earlier there are probably some dames in there he d- yeah i guess maybe not personally killing them or something uh, like that you know if they yeah. should if they should happen to die from other actions then that's mm-hmm. he washed his yeah. hands of it you know Okay, all right, fair. I'm I'm excited to see more about this uh, ambiguously moral uh, character uh, imparting their will as the will of God. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely quick to say that, like, this guy is insane. You should not trust him that much, you know, which I think is interesting. (laughs) Right. But with that, Eli, we've once more come to the end of a couple of a couple issues of the Judge Red magazine. Exciting times. Nice. And thus I must know what are your top and bottom stories for this time. Ooh. There were a lot of good ones here. I think mm-hmm. because there was no heavy metal dread that I don't have anyone to just immediately throw throw down. <laughs> uh, but uh dang. Uh, <laughs> uh, it was funny this time I was like you know what I'm gonna tri- get Conrad I'm gonna have my answer before we even uh, do our recording no, and I gotta think do about it. it on the fly yeah you can't, right. you can't plan that far ahead that's what I found right. um, so but I gotta I really know like I gotta a, hear it uh, <laughs> let's see uh, I, I, mean, I like them all so much uh, so let me let me I gotta center myself what is mm-hmm. well let's, let's start with which one do you like the most do you think what do you think's your top one we got i really like Red, um i really hershey. like hershey story mm-hmm. yeah i really like hershey i think the art had a lot to do with that sure <laughs> uh, game i mean dolls. they're up a piece you know for sure right but i also really enjoyed um uh judge anderson uh side vision uh children's mm. uh I'm just liking the female judges. You know, what's Dredd doing? He's just doing his old Dredd stuff. But mm. women are getting into some moral debacles. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, uh, I'll just have, um, dang it. Uh, let's put, I got to put Hershey on top. The art nice. just still just puts it over the top for me. Although I really love uh, Anderson's uh, take on Mars and like where they're going. Sure. But I feel like that's going to go a little bit more... Um, uh, standard I mean, affair. I've, seen, I've I've seen this movie. I've seen what Anderson's going to be doing. I, <laughs> I already know what's going on there. Um, but um, Judge Hershey at least got one surprise out of me. I was like, oh, that's the killer! Wow. So I'm going to give them some some extra credit for that. And you nice. had a, a little cat cat girl in there too. So that's always that's cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and I think for bottom, I'll have to put. Um, Judge Dredd, uh, uh, Ladona Fever. Ah. Uh, just because uh, it was it was cool. The art, art was nice, but the story didn't really grab me. Um, of course, they did their sci-fi stuff at the end, but, you know, it's eh, it, was, it was fine. And there was one scene where, you know, uh, some guy gets uh, hit in the throat with that club, which I thought was very fun. And then they just keep 
keep rolling. So it, it was funny. Like I liked a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I just didn't get as much out of it as some of the other ones. But I, you know, it was a, it was a one story type. That it was like a, it, well, not one story, but it was like a very small contained narrative. It was done and it was over and then it was fine. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it didn't uh, warm my heart like the other ones did. So that's fair. I think for me, I'll, I'll definitely um, put Hershey as my top. I like that story a lot. Um, this like, I mean, honestly, it it, it felt a, it, it had a little bit of of a judge stuff, but it was just kind of a standard uh, serial killer story, which is unusual for these days. What we're seeing with these judges, so I thought that was pretty cool, and I like to sort of the I don't know seedier side of Mega City One that we saw through through the course of that story in general and just corrupt judge stuff too, which is a kind of a newer thing in the course of these stories that we haven't seen a ton for my yeah. bottom. Um, for me, my bottom stories hark and burr pretty easily. Actually, um, <laughs> the art was okay. I'm not a, I'm not the hugest Dean Ornston fan, um, but I thought it was all right, but like, I don't know, just sort of trying to be funny. It didn't really hit the mark for me. So for me, very easy in comparison. Otherwise, a pretty, a reasonably strong period. I like this Anderson story. Um, I thought Dread was pretty good. If I have one complaint, actually, it's just that um, when you say Jigsaw in Dread, um, you might not know this, Eli, but early in Dread's adventures, there were the, he came across this thing called... Um, jigsaw syndrome or the jigsaw disease or something which is basically this science fiction malady that causes parts of your body to disappear basically but like oh. in like they don't fall off. They just... no they just like your body well like it's like it's like your elbow will disappear but your arm mm. and hand will still work and be in their normal places oh. even though your elbow isn't there anymore and stuff. Interesting. And the disease is that slowly more and more of you disappears basically That's until you until you you're just gone. And so mm. if I had one knock on this dread story definitely is that when you say the jigsaw murders it makes me think I'm going to see some more jigsaw syndrome and mm-hmm. honestly that puts dread in a pretty low in a much lower spot for me this time just because <laughs> i was hoping for that to happen and it didn't and you're not ready of, for that jigsaw syndrome exactly yeah like i was hoping for something i didn't get it and that's a bummer <laughs> one time I, I went to church's chicken and they were like we're out of chicken i was like well why even, even have deal? yeah let's like, say your clothes get some biscuits or something that's ridiculous <laughs> right <laughs> Church's chicken, the chicken spot that I always find disturbing because they sell chicken in odd numbered amounts. Like you can mm-hmm. get like a like a five piece or a seven piece or something like that. And <laughs> I don't like that. Uh, I right. like there being an even amount. I feel like otherwise right. there's all of a ghost chicken, like half of a ghost right. chicken coming after right. me. Exactly like, right. Give me I, back I my years. golden arm kind of thing. <laughs> Right, right, right. I like that. Uh, I want three chicken wings. Like, well, what? What about that fourth wing? You you gotta yeah. get the like. I you know when there. you get four drumsticks, they aren't from just two chickens, Eli. I, they are probably are from all from four different chickens, but it doesn't sit right with me. Anyway, right. Oh, yeah. Hey. <laughs> 
<laughs> on these chicken superstitions. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Big Meg One on iTunes, Stitch, Google Play Store, Spotify, or a podcast site at BigMegOne.com. Contact us at BigMegOne at gmail.com. The 2000 forums or our Facebook or Twitter pages. For all those, check out Big Meg One with one written out, and you'll find us and drop us a rating or review where you listen to us or suggest if someone's looking for a cool podcast. This show is brought to you by Steve Green, Robert Hardingham, and your friends at the 2080 forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradline. That's our podcast network, and there you can support the show and get excellent rewards. Then come back next time as we're rolling forward with Judge Anderson and starting three new stories with more flashbacks in Armitage. We'll return to Cal Have Justice and keep things on the aisles as we start a new story called Britsit Brute. Like a brute from Britsit. And until then, I'm Conrad there, Eli, and we are Big Mega One. Drock it. It's time.